Good morning. I am so excited to be here. One, because Aaron, I really love you. I'll try not to get emotional, but Aaron means a lot to me. It's, uh, I started out just as his coach, and, and Aaron's way more than uh, a client to me. He's true friend and brother means a lot to me. And uh, you guys mean a lot to me. Even though I'm not here physically often, uh, I'm here in spirit often uh, as I pray for you and think, what is the best way that I can help Aaron in his calling here? And I am excited today to help you to put the go in the gospel. Uh, I'm part of a group called the Cultivate Network, and that's really why Cultivating Network exists, is to put the go in the gospel. And um, so I'm really excited. Another thing that I've been dwelling on and mulling on as I uh, prepared to come and share God's word with you was uh, recently the passing of really an amazing man, Billy Graham. Um, Millions and millions and millions and millions of people have heard the gospel because of his faithfulness. And if you know his story, he's nobody special. Uh, He's just a man who gave himself 100% to God and said, use me. And and God took him and did something amazing with him. Um, So this morning, there's more than four, but this morning I'm going to share with you four reasons why... You should share your faith. Why you must share your faith with a lost and dying world around us. Um, I don't think I'm the only one. If you, if you watch the news and you look around at the things going on in the world, um, it's pretty easy to see that we live in a messed up and broken world. Are you with me on that? Do you see that? Um, and... It's not a cliche Sunday school answer to say Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the solution. Um, It may be used as a cliche, but it is absolutely true. So I am excited to share the good news of Jesus with you today and hopefully to encourage you, motivate you, convict you. Well, I won't convict you. I've, I've been praying three hours on the way down here that God's Spirit would be strong here and then And it is the Holy Spirit who will do his work in you. Uh, And without that Holy Spirit, I have nothing to say and you can't receive it. And we're wholly dependent on him. Uh, I want to start by sharing a story with you that I read uh, a few years back that it really stunned me to think about it. um, And it struck me. Uh, There was a 23-year-old Taiwanese man who checked in at a new Taipei video cafe that they had over there on a a Tuesday evening. And then he subsequently died of cardiac cardiac arrest while playing video games. Now, I don't know what game he was playing. I don't know what his health condition was. But something happened in that moment, 23 years old, and, and he died of a heart attack in that video cafe. Now, here's what's stunning. That event went unnoticed by some 30 other gamers that were in that video cafe at the time. This had happened to them. Nobody else knew it. They were zoned in on their game, focused in on what they were doing, and nobody else knew. Uh, He also went unnoticed by staff in that place. The folks who worked there didn't notice him either for up to nine hours. He sat there, 
and, and he had lost his life, but his body was there, and nobody noticed. The gamers were there. The staff was there. He was found dead, but still sitting rigidly upright in his chair with his hand stretched out the following night by a waitress. The following night, he was there an entire day, and nobody noticed that this man had died. He was sitting like that in front of his video game. Nobody noticed. Unbelievable. Here's the point of this story. Like transfixed video gamers, we can get caught up in the game of life so much so that we become oblivious to the brokenness and the needs of people around us. You don't have to go far at all to find someone who's hurting, who's broken, and who is far from Jesus Christ. We need to take our head out of the game long enough, this game of life that we're so transfixed and focused on, to look around us, to see how God might use us to be the ultimate blessing to someone who is far from God. Now, there's a couple convictions that I operate under. Um, and, I, and I just, some of you have listened to me before. Aaron knows me well. I am a full throttle, 100% person, whatever I give myself to do. Um, I'm not always the most compassionate guy, uh, but I'm working on it. I'm really working on it. Uh, and what I am sharing with you today is, is something that I am probably more passionate about and have a deeper conviction than anything in my Christian faith. So here's a couple, a couple thing, uh, propositions that I operate from, and it's this. Number one, unless our convictions are firmly based in the Word of God, unless our convictions are theologically sound, our ministry will be inconsistent and weak and subject to the latest cultural fads and innovations. Doesn't matter the clothes you wear, the bright lights. You had a great conversation with Jeff about this this morning. Number one important here, we don't have the fanciest church building uh, around. We don't have the best band that a church could have. We don't have the flash and splash, but do you know what we have? We have Jesus Christ. We have the Holy Spirit. We have his word. And we don't need anything else. We don't need anything else. I marvel when I read the book of Acts. As far as material goods goes, they had nothing. They didn't have a marketing director for the church. They didn't have communication cards. They didn't have any of what we have. But they had Jesus. And that church, the church in the book of Acts, the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Now, I like the connection cards. They're good. Fill them out. Let's send a whole lot of cash to Compassion International. Those are great. I'm not saying they're wrong. But I'm saying, let's keep the main thing the main thing. Uh, four things. I'll skip my other proposition because uh, that one you can ask me afterwards. But I want to dig in. I'm going I'm to share four reasons why you should and why you must share your faith. But before we do, I want to pray again. And I just want to 
I want to invite God to speak to us. So what I'm going to do is just give us, give us a few moments of silence. And do me a favor. In that silent time, ask God to speak to you. Because he is real, he is here, and he wants to speak to you, and he wants to change you through our time together. After a few moments of silent prayer, then I'll pray and lead us forward. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and have your way with us. King Jesus, you are the attraction here. You are the center of our attention. You are the reason for our gathering. You are the source of life. You are good and gracious and kind. And though on our own we have no right to come before you, you invite us. You say, come, come to me and receive from me. And so we are here. We are here this morning to receive from you, Lord. Let your spirit be strong in this place. God, I pray that, that you would empty me of myself and fill me with you. That what I speak, what I encourage, what I instruct, what I invite would be straight from you. Jesus, we love you, and, and this world desperately, desperately needs a visual representation of your love and your compassion at work. We submit ourselves to you, and we ask that you would use us to be that in this place, in the places where we live, where we work, and where we play. Come and have your way, Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. So the first of the four reasons. By the way, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Each one of these four reasons is coming straight out of this text. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be focused on verses 11 through 21, but I want to share verses 9 and 10 just to kind of give a little bit of context and a little thrust here. 9 and 10 says, So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one of us might receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Verses 11 through 13 reveal the first reason why we should and why we must share our faith. And that reason is the fear of the Lord. Listen to what Paul writes here. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearances and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. So this term, the fear of the Lord, um, can be a little bit confusing. But it is out of this fear of the Lord that, that motivates Paul and his co-workers to persuade people to follow Jesus. 
not just to suggest it. Persuade is a very, very strong word. He pleads, he persuades, he argues. As you read through the book of Acts, he argues with those who oppose God, trying to persuade them and win them over to receive the life that's found in Christ alone. The fear of the Lord is the driving force in our evangelism. Evangelism is done in relationship with God. And I will say this to you. Your practice of evangelism, whatever that is, reveals what you really believe about God and his commands and his authority over our lives. Evangelism that is done in view of the fear of the Lord is based in part by our aim to please God and by the judgment to come. We're going to have to stand before God one day. He's going to say, I gave you this ministry of reconciliation. I called you to it. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all people. For those who do not know Christ, the fear of the Lord, it it might mean horror or terror at the wrath to come. But for those of us who know Jesus, we know that we're free from the wrath to come. We've been rescued from that. Yet we're still called to fear the Lord. What does that mean? There's two different kinds of fear. Anyone uh, who's a YouTube fan in here? Anyone waste part of your life watching YouTube videos? I do it often, often. No judgment from me on that. Um, but they've got these really fun videos. You've got to be careful. Watch. Don't let your kids watch them unless you filter them. Because they, have you ever seen the scare cam? So these people get their phone and they hide somewhere in a closet or something. And they jump out and they scream. And people jump and they freak out. They get scared out of their wits. Sometimes things come out of their mouth. Um, that's why you've got to be careful what you watch there. I don't want to endorse those for you. Hey, Pastor Steve said this. What are you doing? Um, but there's that kind of fear where you're startled, you're, you're afraid, you're, you're thinking something bad is going to happen to you. For us who know Jesus, that's not what the fear of the Lord means. Um, my, my son fears me. He fears me in a biblical sense. He, he never fears that I'm going to hurt him or harm him. He knows better than that. The fear that we're talking about here is a reverence, a respect, an awe. When, when you're my son's age, he's 11, he thinks I'm a much better guy than I actually am. I'm sorry to break it to you, bud. As he grows up, he's learning more and more, and I have to apologize to him more and more and seek his forgiveness for my mistakes. But he respects me. He reveres me. And, I, and I'm so honored by that, and I try to live up to that. That's how we fear the Lord. It, it's an awe. It's a reverence. It's a deep respect. It's... it's we see that on a smaller scale in our culture uh, in the sports world where we elevate sports athletes for their, for their abilities on the court or on the field. Uh, in, in, in my younger years, in a generation past, the best basketball player on the planet was Michael Jordan, and he was awe-inspiring athlete. Now it might be someone like Steph Curry, who, who's a different kind of player, but he's just so amazing. And they inspire awe. And these, these become the idols of our culture. Um, but that's another, that's another sermon. But they inspire awe. They inspire respect. And who deserves more awe and respect than the creator of the universe, the one who spoke and said, be, and it was. And, and so if 
we're not sharing our faith like we ought to, uh, it could be that we have a problem with our fear of the Lord, uh, that, we, that we don't respect him, that we don't revere him. Uh, my son knows if I ask him to do something and he disobeys me, he knows there's going to be consequences. Your children know the same thing. If they, if they disrespect you, if they ignore what you say to them, there's going to be consequences. Well, this passage is telling us the same thing. Our Father has, has called us to represent him in this world and to win lost people to him, to share the love and grace and the mercy expressed in the gospel of Jesus Christ so that they might come to life and escape the wrath to come. He's given that to us. Do we fear him? Do we respect him? Do, do we honor him and his authority by persuading people? flowing out of that or are they are we worried that they're gonna think something bad about us are we more concerned with our reputation or his have you ever been in this situation where you're out in a restaurant a public place or something and, and uh there's a family out with young young kids and the kids are just unruly and they're loud and they're not listening you look at them you know what you do you know you're judging them what's wrong with those parents can't they handle their kids? What are we doing to God's reputation? What do people say? What what is this God the Father when his kids don't even listen to what he says? We need to cultivate a healthy fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord in which godliness consists is the fear which constrains, compels, and powerfully produces adoration and love. It's a fear that consists in awe, reverence, honor, and worship, and all of these at the highest level of exercise, not just acknowledgement, but actual exercise. It is the reflex in our consciousness of the transcendent majesty and holiness of God. It has to actually be exercised for it to be a thing. Here's another strange thing. I don't know about you, but I notice in our culture... It's, it's like this fashion trend uh, for people. I'm not trying to pick on ladies, but ladies wear like these workout pants, these running pants, and they wear them as a fashion statement. And like I said, I'm not judging, but you know a lot of these people wearing these workout clothes should actually exercise in those workout clothes and not just use them. You know what I'm saying? Not just use them. And I'm not, like I said, I'm not trying to be mean or anything, but if you're going to wear workout clothes... Go work out in them, um, is the idea behind that. If we have a faith that we lay claim to, we've got to exercise it. Okay? Knowing the fear of the Lord leads us to live gospel-driven lives, and it forces us to engage in evangelism. It compels us. It drives us. If it doesn't, there's a deficiency that we've got to look in the mirror. We've got to look in the heart and say, what's going on with my heart? Okay, second reason is found in verses 14 and 15. I'll read those for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Who are you living for? Are you living for yourself, your own wants, your own needs, your own desires? 
Or are you living for the one who gave his very life for you? The love of Christ compelled Paul to share the gospel. He gave up everything. He had no home. He traveled all over the place. If you read through the book of Acts, this guy's life, I mean, he was stoned and and almost killed and left for dead. He was whipped. He was beaten. He was put in, in prison. You guys are going to be studying Colossians coming up. He wrote that letter from jail. You know, you ever think, if we ever hire another staff person here, we better get someone who's been in jail, right? Who, who thinks that? Nobody does. But God's love, Jesus' love was so deep and rich and implanted in Paul's heart that he couldn't resist it. He had to go. He had to go all over the place and share with whoever would give him a listening. He'd go in one place and he'd start sharing the love of Christ and they'd get mad and they'd try to run him out of town. He'd be like, all right, anyone interested? Come on, let's go. And then he'd take those people and he'd go and he'd start a church with them. And then he'd raise up a leader and he'd go. And he'd go, if we're not compelled... If, if God's love doesn't control us so much that it flows out into our behavior, we need to start asking ourselves some questions. Christ's love is a compulsive force in the life of a believer, a dominating power that effectively eradicates choice in that it leaves us no option but to live for God. It leaves us no option. I want Christ's love to compel me that much. I'm still too selfish. I'm still too focused on myself. My prayer every day and my prayer coming up here was that God's love would so fill us that we have to, that we have to do it. There's a river in town here, right? Riverwood Church. And there's a lot of water in that river and it flows and it goes this way and that way and it makes its way down. What dictates the flow of that water? What makes it twist and turn and flow the way that it does? Someone help me out. How much water is as part of it? That'll, that'll dictate the speed, but what makes it go the direction it goes? It's the banks of the river, right? The guides. Those banks of the river guide it in the way that it goes. God's love ought to guide us to flow in the direction he leads us to. The cross of Jesus Christ is not just the beginning of the Christian life. A lot of us, I love Billy Graham. If you have ever watched his event on, uh, anyone have satellite radio? I forget the number of it, but I think it's like 145 or something. Now they got Billy Graham radio on there, and I've, I've been listening to it since he passed away, and and, um, and I just love how he focuses on the cross and he invites people always, come meet Jesus at the cross. And most of us have probably done that. Many of us have done that. But here's a problem. A lot of times we think, yes, I went forward. I prayed the prayer. I know the date. I have a date. My son has a date when he made that, commi- that commitment. Maybe you did. And it, and it feels like this past event. 
But the cross is not just the beginning of the Christian life. It is daily living. The gospel is for everyday life. It is the sum of life. It's through Jesus' death and resurrection that we can stand before God, that he hears our prayers. We would all affirm that it is by grace that we are saved, not by works, right? It's faith. It's grace given to us. But sometimes in the Christian life, we think, yeah, that's how I got saved, but I stay saved by following the rules. Every single day, Jesus has performed perfectly for us. And because of his perfect performance, God looks at me and he sees holy perfection. Not because I really am. Ask my son. He knows me. But because I'm clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. I got my Jesus coat on. God looks at me. He says, that's my son's boy there. Steve, he belongs to Jesus. He's holy. He's perfect. He's righteous. Christ's sacrifice is the greatest act of love ever bestowed on the human race. And the impact of what Jesus did on the cross cannot be measured. Bums me out. Bums me out. I used to, it used to bum me out that other people could be so nonchalant about it. Yeah, Jesus died for me. It used to bother me. Then I started to look into my own heart and it, it bothers me deeply that I can be nonchalant about it. The gospel message includes a call to service. In verse 15, Paul says, And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him for who their sake died and was raised. We've been bought with a price and we are no longer our own. Murray Harris is one of my favorite scholars uh, from one of my favorite places, Australia. And he sums it up like this. He says, replacing the slavery of self, that is the hallmark of the unsaved state, should be an exclusive devotion to the crucified and resurrected Messiah. The intended result of the death of Christ was the Christian's renunciation of self-seeking and self-pleasing and the pursuit of a Christ-centered life filled with action for the benefit of others as was the life of Jesus when he walked the earth. There's a transfer of allegiance from ourselves to Christ. As followers of Jesus, he doesn't just desire, but demands to be the priority in our lives. He bought us with a price none of us could pay ourselves. We can all die, but we can't be the perfect sacrifice for sin that he was. If the love of Christ does not compel you to tell others of the glory revealed in the gospel, then we need to set our hearts to pray. And I like how Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 3. He says, According to the riches of God's glory, may he grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, so that the love of Christ leaves you no other choice but to proclaim the gospel to everyone who will give you a a hearing. The love of Christ compels us to live a gospel-driven life and to engage in evangelism. 
The third reason is the reality of the human predicament. Um, some of you may know this verse. It's one of those that uh, a lot of times gets put on plaques. You can buy it in the Christian bookstores. And it's one of those verses that, that we love to quote all the time. Verses 16 and 17. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, right? We love that verse. It's a great verse. We should love that verse. Now, here's something you need to understand in Scripture. When it states that something is true, which this is absolutely true, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation, the opposite is also true. Anyone who is not in Christ is not a new creation. Right? So there is a reality that we all have to face. We need to have 2020 spiritual vision. The fact that all men are created in God's image ensures that every person born into the world will live forever. We are made men, women, children. We are created to be eternal beings. Every one of us will exist for eternity. The only question is, where will that eternity be spent? Now, I went to graduate school in Chicago, and I was in this high-level history class, and one day my professor gets up. There's 60 of us in there. We're all training for the ministry. And he gets up and he starts, we're at a... Uh, evangelical, Bible-believing, this is the inherent word of God school, right? And he gets up and he looks out at us and he says, you guys don't believe in hell. And we're looking at him like, what? What do you mean? It's in the Bible, of course we do. He said it again, you guys don't believe in hell. And then, room full of 60 preachers, silent if you don't believe in God, that's a miracle to get a preacher to shut up. <laughs> Saw some of you looking at your watches. And we just said, all right, what's he going to say? He said, because if you believed in hell, you would not be sitting here right now. You'd be out there. Now, he didn't want us to walk out of class. But what he wanted to do is get our attention. And hopefully I've got your attention. There is a reality that when Christ returns, there's going to be a severe judgment and people who do not know God and who don't obey the gospel, they're going to experience the full wrath of God. We've been rescued from that wrath to come. We need to be rescuers. We have been rescued. Remember this phrase. You have been rescued to be a rescuer. Say that with me. I have been rescued to be a rescuer. It's not something you do. It's part of who you are. In John 17, 18, and 21, Jesus said, As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. There's two main reasons. There's a lot of reasons, but there's two main reasons why Jesus gave us his Holy Spirit. Number one reason is to breathe the life of God into us to, to allow us to be born again. The second reason was to empower us to follow him, to engage in his mission to seek and save that which is lost. Those who are not in Christ are in grave danger. 
They have not repented of their sins and they're storing up wrath for themselves on the day of judgment. That's Romans chapter 2. Satan has blinded their eyes so they can't see the truth. That's 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. And they will suffer eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. That's 2 Thessalonians 1.9. They are enemies of God and they are need, in need of reconciliation. Peace needs to be made. We need to exercise 2020 spiritual vision as we interact with people where we live, work, and play. Every time we look at someone, the shadow of the cross should come across our vision. There's people in life that you like, there's people in life that you don't like, but Jesus died for every one of them. I'm in a workplace now. Since I was with you last, I, I changed jobs. I'm a church planning missionary, but I work a regular day job so that I can be more helpful to our missionaries and so I don't have to double my rates for Aaron to, to receive good coaching. Uh, and I work at a car dealer now. We sell BMWs. Nobody in the world needs a BMW. They're the most amazing cars you'll ever get behind, uh, behind the wheel of, but they're ridiculous, the money they cost. Holy cow. But I love them. I'm glad I get to drive them, but don't have to pay for it. Um, <laughs> So I'm in this environment and people come, people come across my desk. I meet new people every day. It's one of the things I love about it. And yesterday, uh, Saturday, yesterday, yeah. Yesterday, sitting at my desk was, uh, I'll call them uh, uh, Molly and Tammy Johnson. Married couple. Okay. Um, now, you hear that, and probably a lot of things come to your mind. Sinful, wicked, far from God, thumbing their nose. At God. Yeah, yeah, uh, but God's done a really great work in my heart. I'm so thankful I got a chance to meet them. And, and they are made in God's image, and they desperately need to hear the message of reconciliation. Now, they came in there because they want to buy one of these BMWs that no one really needs, but they want. Um, and I need to feed my family, so I'm going to sell them one. Because <laughs> uh, that's where God put me right now. <laughs> I, I ask him why, but he doesn't give me an answer. I just say, yes, Dad, I'll do it. Um, but I'm, I'm, God's working on my heart. How, how can I represent Jesus to this, these married ladies? It's not the first lesbian married couple that sat at my desk. And so I'm trying to be gracious and loving. God made these people. And some sins are obvious, right? But you and I all have them. We can hide them behind this veneer, right? We've been rescued. And we've been rescued to what? To be rescuers. What place would God have for me in this, in this lesbian couple's life to be a blessing to reveal Jesus to them? Now, I guarantee you this. If I point at them and call them names, and, and conduct myself in, in a manner that really disrespects God, even though I would maybe be doing that with a heart to serve him, uh, I'm going to have no voice in their life. God brought them across my path. I need to be responsive to the Spirit. This is hard for me, guys, because there's something that wells up in me, like, ah, stop it, you know? But the shadow of the cross falls across them as they're sitting across my desk and I can treat them with love and respect and dignity 
even though I 100% disagree with their marriage choice. Um, the other thing is this lady is like, she's big. <laughs> so, that's another reason to watch. It would be embarrassing to get beat up by a big, tough lady. <laughs> Uh, sometimes I got to tell myself, Steve, just because it comes in your head, don't mean you have to say it. But do you believe in hell? Let me circle back around. Do you believe in hell? Jesus spoke of it so much. It's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Separation from God. Even the worst sinner on this earth is receiving the blessing and the benefits of God because they're living in his world. Right? It's been said for the Christian, this life, this is the closest we'll ever get to hell. I mean, there's some bad stuff we have to interact with on a daily basis, right? But for those who are far from God, who are not followers of Jesus, this is the closest they'll ever get to heaven. Unless they turn from their sins. And the only way they're going to turn from their sins is if they hear the message of reconciliation. The only way they're going to hear the message of reconciliation is for those of us who have received it to speak it, to live it, to demonstrate it. The reality of the human predicament motivates us to live a gospel-driven life and to vigorously engage in evangelism. Fourth reason why Christians engage in evangelism is found in verses 18 through 21. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, Christ God was reconciling the world to himself. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their sins against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for God. God making his appeal through us. Through us. Are you a bottleneck for the gospel? God wants to use you commands you to obey him to be a conduit of his love and of his grace and there's people that you interact with you may be the only christian they ever encounter and if you don't speak it out if you don't share it what hope do they have therefore we are ambassadors for christ god making his appeal through us We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. An ambassador is an official of highest rank sent from one sovereign to another state as a representative. The United States has ambassadors in countries all over the world. And that ambassador, the United States ambassador, I'll pick my favorite country, Australia, my favorite non-American country. Uh, The U.S. ambassador to Australia, he represents the United States in Australia with the full authority of our nation. He is the fullness of the United States in that country. And so are you and so am I in this place 
We are ambassadors for Christ. We have been authorized with the full power and authority of God to go into this world where we live, work, and play. He's given us the message of reconciliation. Here it is. Here it is. My son gives me gifts often. Um, I give him gifts often. Maybe you've given gifts. I'm sure you have. And, and maybe you've had this experience where you give someone a gift and you, you get down the road a little bit and you realize they've totally destroyed the gift. Or maybe they've never used it. Like, imagine you give your wife, uh, you buy her a beautiful jewel for your anniversary. You wrap it up in a nice present, in a nice bow and everything. And uh, with a great ceremony, you take her out to a great dinner and, and you present it to her. Honey, I got this for you. So, thanks, that's great. I appreciate it. She sets it aside. She goes on with her dinner and you're like, well, aren't you going to open? Yeah, yeah, I'll get to it. And you go on talking and you finish your meal and whatever. And you realize you get home and she hasn't opened the gift. You're like, what gives? <laughs> I, I did, did all this, this dinner, this, you know, tried to create a great environment for you and I, I paid a great price for this and, and I gave it to you to wear it, to, to experience it and, and it just sits there and a week passes and she hasn't opened it and a month passes and she hasn't, I mean, what do you do? How would you feel? You're like, man, there's, she doesn't want my gift. She doesn't appreciate me. What? What's going on here? God's given us, given us a ministry. And, and if you think it's a job, you're not looking at it right. I can tell you stories and stories. I'll never forget one of the first people I ever led to Christ was a little nine-year-old girl named Brittany. And I was invited to this, I was invited to this camp to be the teacher for fifth and sixth. I was a Christian for like four months. I'm like, what in the world are they inviting me to be the speaker for? You probably figure, well, he acts like a fourth or fifth grader. You probably can relate to him. And so we, I was talking to this girl. She was looking sad. So I talked to her. I said, hey, what's going on, Brittany? And she just broke down crying. She said, I just want my daddy to come home. My daddy left us. I never see him. It was the most heartbreaking thing I I ever experienced. I can still see her little face, her little hands trembling. And I said, Brittany, you got a father who will never leave you. And I shared with her the message of reconciliation. I'll never forget that. You think that was work? That little girl, that was such a blessing to me. That was the event that made me say, I'm going into full-time ministry. I changed my college major from computer science to theology. I'm doing this. I'm doing this all the time. That gave me so much. I'm getting charged up again just telling you about it. That was 20 years ago. Don't you think it's a work? It's a gift for you. You will never, ever, ever experience the fullness and the blessing and the beauty of Jesus than when you join him in sharing the good news with people and seeing people come to life, seeing Satan fall like lightning. Only the sheer rapture of being lost in worship of God is as exhilarating and intoxicating as telling, as telling someone about Jesus. The Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all people, teaching them to obey all that I command, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then what does he say? And behold, 
I am with you always to the end of the age. Which one of you in here wants to experience more of the power and the presence of Jesus in your life? Who wants that? I mean, do you want to see Jesus? Do you want to experience Jesus? You read these stories and acts and this crazy, powerful stuff. Do you want some of that? Or do we want to come and Mom, is the sermon done yet? Can we go have lunch? There's so much more to it than just coming to a service. Because this is good. This is important. But this should equip you and fire up to go out and put the go in the gospel. God has not reconciled us merely for our own salvation. Infused into the Christian's DNA is the ministry of reconciliation. God speaks through his children to the lost and perishing world. If we are not engaging in vigorous evangelism, then we are not only neglecting the command of God, but we are failing to experience the fullness of what it means to follow Jesus. I'm telling you guys, you get out there and share the good news with someone, you see them come to life, there is nothing in this world that compares to that. So much so that the angels in heaven throw a party every time it happens. You can be the party planner for heaven. And they'll love you for, hey, we get to party again. Look what these guys are doing down there. Look at that Riverwood Church, man. They're leading people to Christ all over the place. We're going to have to get a bigger banquet hall up in this place. I'm going to end with this because this is, this is the... When, when you stop and think about what Jesus actually did, it's scandalous. It's, it is so amazing, it's hard for our brains to comprehend it. Check this out. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin. He was perfect. He was holy. He was righteous. Never once sinned. Spotless record. Steph Curry can shoot a a three-pointer, but Jesus never missed one. God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. So that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Through our faith, we become what Jesus is. I'm glad you guys can't read my mind. Because, I mean, I got some stinking thinking going on. That's a hat tip to my grandfather who passed away a couple years ago at the, at the ripe old age of 93. Spent five days with him. He, I'll tell you one story about my grandpa, my hero. He lived in this nursing home for the last, gosh, I think probably 20 years of his life. I would go see him. Steve, can you bring me some Bibles? Steve, can you bring me some... Steve, we got 30 people a week die in this place. And a lot of them don't know Jesus. I need to help them. I said, what do you want, Grandpa? He gives me a thing. I go order it. Come back and we pray together. Help me go give this stuff. My grandfather, he was the missionary in that place. I'll never forget the last five days of his life. I spent every moment of that time with him. We were sitting there, and he was, he was singing. I thought, this is awesome. He was singing in Swedish. My grandpa's a Swede. He was singing in Swedish. And, uh, and I thought, this is what a great moment. I'm singing with my grandpa. I'm holding his hand. Then I realized, he's singing with somebody else. You know? 
This is a man faithful to the end, experiencing the fullness of God and ushered him in. What an awesome privilege that was for me to watch a Christian man die. Awesome, awesome. And I want to get to the end of my life and say, Jesus, I didn't, you gave me the ministry of reconciliation and I didn't waste it, man. I didn't leave it in the box unwrapped in my closet for a more convenient time. I opened that thing up. Man, I used it. I exercised it. I want you to be able to say that as well. It's great. You know, we've got this gift. We're going to get to stand before God one day and he's going to say, give an account for yourself. And, and I'm going to say, Jesus, help me. Jesus is going to stand right in front of me and say, Dad, he's mine. Daddy's mine. You know what's going to be great? I'm going to bring as many people as I can with me. As many people as I can. Because then maybe God will not look so much at me and he'll, hey, he brought all these people. All right, come on in. Let's bring as many people as we can. It's not about having as many people as we can in a church service. It's about every person we come into contact with where we live, work, and play. Let's help them to know God. Let's give them the greatest gift we possibly can. When Jesus was on the cross, God treated him like he was you. Killed him. Poured out his wrath on him. That wasn't Jesus' wrath to bear. That was yours. And he bared it for you. After the cross, God treats you like you're Jesus. Perfect, holy, and righteous. You didn't do nothing to earn it. You can't do nothing to lose it. I ain't here to get in a theological debate. Okay? But the only thing you bring to your salvation is the sin from which you need to be saved, and you are rescued to be a... Let's go do it. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, move us deep in our hearts to have a strong and healthy fear of you. Compel us Compel us with your love. Let your love be flowing in and through us so powerfully that we can't help it, but we got to tell people about how great you are. God, help us to have a strong grasp of the reality of the human predicament, the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. For those who reject you, go there. But we can rescue them. You've given us everything. God, help us to know that evangelism is not something we do, it's who we are. We are your ambassadors. Lord, help us to receive the fullness of that ministry of reconciliation. Help us to flex our spiritual muscles and exercise it. God, forgive us for our feelings. We're so thankful that we have complete and total forgiveness in you. But help us to live different moving forward. God, as we receive communion, help us to to just remember the amazing sacrifice that you made on our behalf. We didn't deserve it. We didn't deserve it, but we receive it. We receive it this day. In your holy name we pray. Amen.